We've been uh, studying uh, five secrets of, of contentment. Uh, and today, a contented person lives above circumstances, or to put it real simply, be a victor and not a victim. Be a victor and not a victim. We'll be looking at Philippians 4, verse 12, particularly. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Um, I want to talk to you about contentment again. I remind you of the definition that we're working with each time that we get together. Uh, and uh, so the dictionary de definition of contentment is this, an internal satisfaction which does not demand change in external circumstances. You know, commitment is uh, both a biblical virtue and it's, it's a command from God that we're to be contented. We are to be contented with what we have. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, Paul tells young Timothy, having food and clothing, <laughs> be content, be content. Uh, this morning, uh, I have a favorite shirt and I was looking for that favorite shirt. Couldn't find the favorite shirt. So I looked through the other 24 that I have in my closet and came up with the blue one. Um, and uh, uh, you know what? I sh should be content with the blue one. I mean, after all, just because I couldn't find the one that I wanted, there's 24 others or more than that to be able to choose from. Lynn was just telling the other day, we got to sort through those. We got to make a trip to Salvation Army and get rid of some of those. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, we've already looked at uh, some of the five secrets of contentment. Uh, a contented person is secure in God's providence. You know, um, God works everything according to the counsel of his own will. And secondly, a contented person is satisfied with their circumstance. Somewhat related, but a little different. Today we're going to be looking at a contented person lives above his or her circumstance. Lives above it. Uh, basically, Paul is saying that we need to be victors and not victims. We need to be victors and not victims. Um, there's a multitude of uh, unbiblical philosophies and unbiblical lies that are circulating today and that are captivating the minds of people who have uh, vulnerable minds. Uh, I just want to tell you, there's so many lies floating around and there's tons of lies floating around on social media. There's tons of lies uh, floating around on TV. There's tons of lies floating around in, in just about every place. Uh, but Paul warns in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says this, Beware, lest any man spoil you. If you look that word up, it means to take you captive and lead you away from the truth. So beware that somebody doesn't lead you away from the truth. That's what spoil means. Uh, through philosophy, oh boy, lots of those lying philosophies today, uh, and vain deceit, that is trying to deceive you after the traditions of men, after the rudiments, that's the word that means principles, after the principles of the world, the wisdom of the world, and not after Christ. Uh, one of those particularly dangerous lies that is being circulated and promoted and puffed today is that 
you are a victim. You are a victim. Uh, it's, it's called the victim mentality. Uh, let me describe for you the victim mentality. Uh, when a person sees himself or herself as a victim, he or she has the idea that it removes blame and responsibility from them. Uh, it is someone else's fault. Uh, people who adopt the victim mentality never take responsibility for their own feelings they don't take responsibility for their own actions. They don't take responsibility for their own behavior. They don't take responsibility for their own mental state. They simply blame others. Oftentimes, they blame God. Uh, they are, you know, they are the way they are because they view themselves as victims. They behave improperly because they're victims. They sin or break the law because they are victims, so they smash and grab because they're victims. They don't have what they have, and you've got it, and they want it. They're victims. Uh, they justify themselves, and they whine that they cannot be held responsibility for their bad re behavior. It can't be responsibility for their unkindness, for their irresponsibility, for their sin, for their crime, because they are helpless victims. <coughs> Others are at fault. Others are the problem. Others are at fault because they didn't feel sorry enough for them and they treated them badly. That's the victim mentality. Any wrong that they do is not their fault. Victims are not contented people. They're not contented people at all and they ultimately, they ultimately, uh, blame God. I'm just thinking about this is as old as the devil. I go all the way back to Eden and uh, God asks them why they hid themselves and Eve said the serpent made me do it. She blamed the serpent and then the man, listen to the man, the man says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12 the woman, now listen to this, the woman that thou gave me. He's blaming the woman, but he's also primarily blaming who? God. Blaming God. Uh, you know, if Satan, I just want to tell you this, if Satan can keep you in the perpetual victim frame of mind, he distorts your view of God and God's dealings in your life, and the result is, if you're a believer, you're stunted in your spiritual growth. Or if you're unsaved, you're not about to get saved because you're the victim of God. And then if you are a believer, it curtails your service for the Lord. The Old Testament has a story of two. One was a victim <coughs> and one was the victor. I'm just thinking about it. Read the little book of Jonah. I don't have time to have exposit it all, but uh, Jonah, he looked at himself as a victim. And yet Joseph looked at himself as a victor. Here's Jonah. He 
did not want to do what God had him do, so he fled to Tarshish and he argued with God. That's Jonah 4, 2 and 3. Read Jonah chapter 4 particularly. He wanted God to nuke Nineveh. He wanted God to, to judge Nineveh. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want to take the message of repentance. God, I don't want to do that. That's not good. He resented uh, God asking him, and he was resentful and unforgiving. He wallowed in his self-pity. Here he is, if you remember, after all this, he, uh, he sat under a gourd. And he was glad for the gourd, but then a worm came and, and ate the war, gourd and killed the gourd. And he said, oh, I, 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 you're so mean to me, I should just die. <laughs> he was negative. He was complaining. Jonah chapter, Jonah chapter 4. And he made God responsible for his happiness. He refused to change and take responsibility for his sin. When God tells you to do something, you ought to do something, friends. He was jealous. He was jealous that God blessed Nineveh because they put on sackcloth and ashes and they repented. He, he was mad about that. He was jealous about that. How dare you forgive them, God? Uh, viewing God's blessing to Nineveh is unjust. Jonah made everything about himself. On the other hand, uh, we look at Genesis chapter 40 to Genesis chapter 50 and the events in Joseph's life. Um, his siblings hated him. They were going to kill him. And instead they sold him into slavery. And uh, uh, Joseph submitted to the hardship and he did not use suffering as an excuse to be disobedient to God or to blame God. Uh, you read all of that kind of stuff when Potiphar's wife accused him of trying to molest her, and he didn't. She tried to uh, get his affections. Uh, Joseph didn't complain. He didn't wallow in self-pity when he was thrown in prison. He did not make God responsible for his happiness. He was not bitter, resentful, and unforgiving. And he did not make everything about himself. And he acknowledged God's working for the good of everybody in his situation. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says to his siblings who uh, did all those things to him, sold him into slavery, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to keep you and many other people alive this day. So you have Jonah's here, he's sulking when his gourd dies. And you have Joseph there who's saying, God had a bigger plan to keep you alive. And many others as well. You see... <laughs> I just want you to, to understand very clearly, far too many people are so narcissistic, and if you don't know what narcissistic means, it means to be egotistical and self-centered. Far too many are so narcissistic that they, that they feel like they're victims. They feel like they're victims. 
They believe God owes them a trouble-free life. They think that they should not have to experience difficulties or persecution, rejection or loss. In their mind, God is obligated to grant them success and total protection from troubles and trials and tyrants of this world. Take notice. I want you to understand. God holds you responsible for how you react to the difficulties that come in your life. Even when others have done the evil. Uh, there's no better illustration of this than Moses. Moses was the most self-controlled, the meekest man on, on earth, we read. But Moses got angry at the murmuring Israelites and he struck the rock twice. The rock symbolized Jesus and Jesus only died once for our sin, but he struck the rock twice and God held him accountable for his actions. And as a result of that, he didn't get to go into the promised land because he struck the rock twice. You know, uh, Paul told the Romans, or to Paul, and he tells us, he's, he wrote it in the book of Romans, in Romans 12, 14, bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. That's tough for me. Sometimes I'd like to punch their lights out. But that's, that's not, bless them that persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. He told them not to return evil for evil and don't seek revenge because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Simply, don't play the victim card. Just don't play the victim card. And then excuse yourself from your sinful behavior. Bad things are going to come your way. I know some of you have already faced plenty of them. There's going to be mountaintops in the Christian life, amen? And there's going to be valleys in the Christian life. And the problem is, or the situation is, is that that's a part of life in the fallen world. Sin brought the curse. You think about that. Those of you who have children, having children are not fun. Uh, God said that for the woman, there's going to be travail in childbirth. If you've had children, you know that that's true. But then afterwards, when you see that beautiful baby that was fearfully and wonderfully made, um, you know, I think if I wouldn't have been in the birth room when my son Steve was born, I think we'd only had one kid. My wife was in so much pain. Uh, they had to cut her and do a bunch of things for Steve to come, but we saw the baby, saw the baby born, and saw the wonder of birth. And, and, and so God gave us two other beautiful children. And, uh, you know, uh, ah, 
I haven't paid attention to my perennial garden in 20 years. You know what's in my perennial garden now? Weeds! Now, it is fun to see the daffodils and the tulips come up in the spring through the weeds, but there was at one time when uh, that was beautiful and well-kept and uh, very pretty. I had a fountain, a lion fountain that bubbled water. The lion fountain sat on the ground there and it's metal and the squirrels have chewed on my metal fountain. They've chewed my picnic table. Fallen world! They've chewed the cap off of my lawnmower. Um, I, I, I just... Uh, ah! And the thing is, I can't even shoot the squirrels! Some dear folk uh, from, a dear person from First Baptist Oak Creek delivered me some rat traps and told me how to, well, never mind, never mind. <laughs> this is being broadcast. I got to be careful here. <laughs> but, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, in just a moment here, I'm going, to, I'm going to read the words and then I'm going to play them for me. Sometimes when I get discouraged, I like to play this song, but here's what the song says and reminds me of it says heartaches and sorrow are a part of this life and disappointments we don't understand but our God is able to see us on through we can lean upon his almighty hand and let me just get it up and I want to play it for you And here we go, Tim. true to me because I've experienced them. Heartaches and sorrows are a part of this life. And disappointments we don't understand. I've experienced some of those. I don't understand why. But our God is able to see us on through. We can lean upon his almighty hand. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I refuse to be a victim. He says, I've I've had good times. I've been on the mountaintop. I've had wonderful times. And he says, I've had hard times. And remember how Philippians was written. He was chained. He was chained to a soldier 24-7. Those words ring true. And here is what our Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples. I'd mentioned it in other sermons as he focuses so much on that in these few verses, but John sixteen thirty three, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That's why I want you to keep close to the Lord. He says, in me you might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 
have the broad picture, I have overcome the world. The first word there, peace, that I want to look at, uh, it is the Greek word, arene, and uh, it means tranquility and peace of mind. Uh, it applies to believers and means tranquil, a tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and is content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort it is. That's the peace that's talking about there, the peace that passes all understanding. The next word is tribulation, tulipsin. The word means crush, press, compress, squeeze. Metaphorically, it refers to affliction, tribulation, distress, straits, oppression, and pressure from evil. So when you connect the two words, what it's talking about is when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes and he becomes your savior. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you, regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in. And we know that's true because of what Hebrews 13, 5 says. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He promises to see us through the trials and the difficulties of life, not necessarily to rescue you from them, but see you through them. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace to help in our time of need. Go to Jesus in your time of need. Uh, don't be the victim and saying, oh God, it's all your fault. You know, when you do that, it just separates you further from God. It separates you from his help because you're blaming him. You're saying, you're the one at fault. You know where it all came from? The fall. Sin. That's why we have death. Whereas by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I've had funerals for Miscarried babies. I've had funerals for small babies. I've had funerals for teenagers. I've had funerals for people in their 20s, people in their 30s, after 52 years of ministry, starting 53. I have funerals for very old people in their 90s. But one thing is true. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. That's why it's so important that you be prepared and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Because, let me tell you, 
All of us have an appointment with death. None of us know when it is. But we're not going to escape that appointment. Life is a terminal illness because of sin. And so if you go through life, you're going to be miserable if you play the victim card all the time. And it seems like in our culture, they're playing the race card and the victim card all along. I don't keep my Cherokee race card in my pocket. I don't keep my victim card in my pocket. Because God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. You know, the Savior clearly says... As members of the human race, we're all going to face problems. We're all going to face pressures. We're all going to face disappointment and distress. And at one time in our life, we're all going to die. Contentment comes when you're trusting the Lord and refuse to play the victim card. Contentment cannot come If you're constantly blaming somebody else and not taking responsibility for your own actions and blaming God. Paul learned to cope with both need and plenty. He learned to live above his circumstances. He did not play the victim card. And again, Philippians 4, 12 He says, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Uh, And everywhere, in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Paul is simply saying, I've learned to live above my circumstances. I can get along whether I'm living in poverty or whether I'm living in prosperity. Paul certainly did face difficult circumstances, a whole lot more difficult than me, likely a whole lot more difficult than you. Let me just rehearse some of them. He knows what he's talking about when he says, I refuse to play the victim card. Uh, Shortly after he was saved, the persecution started. The Jews in Damascus plotted to kill him. They were going to kill him. And his friends lowered him over the city wall in a basket so he could escape. Acts chapter 9. He was stoned at Lystra, stoned at Lystra and left for dead. Acts chapter 14. He was mocked at Athens. He was severely beaten in Jerusalem. And we read more about his trials, the thorn in the flesh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-33. You know, this is my point. Paul learned to cope with his circumstances. He did not view himself as a victim. His contentment was not tied to his circumstances. He kept his heavenly focus. Set your affection on things above, Colossians says, not on things on earth. Look at his evaluation of his trials in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Use it in the last message, too, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. Clearly, Paul was a victor. I haven't been beaten. I haven't been stoned. I haven't been shipwrecked. I haven't been a day and a night in the sea. I I have been mocked. But I love what he writes in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Ponder this as I read it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay! I'm not going to be the victim, he says. In all these things, look at this. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why does he say that? The next verse tells us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels remember there's fallen angels I think that's what he has in focus here nor principalities divisions of angels nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor depths nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you know the chorus, sing it with me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The third secret of contentment is living above your circumstances. Or to put it succinctly, Being a victor and not a victim. Don't play the victim card. Now, there's not a possibility for you to be a victor if you don't have the victory in Jesus. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and thus my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath His cleansing blood. I am so glad I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Have you? 
It doesn't ask us what your religion is. Your religion is superfluous. It is of no value unless first Jesus Christ is your Savior. Then if you are belonging to a church that's a Bible-believing church, you can grow. But it all has to start with Jesus. The devil wants you to believe that you're victimized. Oh, that God wants to send you to hell. No. That's what he wants you to believe, but that's not the truth. He didn't want to send you to hell. He made provision to save you by sending his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have everlasting life. You want to stay as a victim and blame God for the things in your life? Stupid decision. It's a damning decision. Or you can come to the great lover of your soul, God, who sent his son. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. That's Jesus. Let's have our heads.